Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. <clears throat> Today, two of the nation's leading constitutional scholars on the president, the wall, the shutdown, the Mueller investigation, the Barr nomination, the Supreme Court. It's a shame to have the two of you here and so little to talk about. Richard Epstein is a professor of law at New York University, a professor of law emeritus and a senior lecturer at the University of Chicago and a fellow here at the Hoover Institution. Richard regularly appears on every list of the most cited and most influential legal scholars of the last half century. John Yu is a professor at the University of California at Berkeley School of Law. Professor Yu served as Deputy Assistant U.S. Attorney General in the Office of Legal Counsel during the administration of President George W. Bush. Professor Yu is here to point out that as brilliant as Richard Epstein is, he is nevertheless sometimes, sometimes mistaken. Richard a and John. A full-time John. <laughs> Richard and I take John. correction very well. Richard and John, thank you. Topic one, the wall and the shutdown. President Trump wants $5.7 billion to build a section of wall or fencing or barrier, as he's now calling it, on the border. $5.7 billion is about one-eighth of 1% 1 of the federal budget. But the Democrats in the House of Representatives under Speaker Nancy Pelosi say no. Hence government shutdown. President Trump keeps saying that if necessary, if the shutdown lasts too long, and as we tape this, the shutdown has now become the longest in history, he has, and I'm quoting him here, an undoubted right, undoubted right to declare a national emergency and then use Pentagon funds to build the barrier without a congressional appropriation. Does such an undoubted right exist, Richard? Undoubtedly, no. Really? Oh, he's clearly wrong about Not this. even close? Not even close. John? I disagree. But that's because the, the notion of what's a national emergency has been diluted over the years. We've had national emergencies over the great swine flu epidemic of 2009. Remember that one? But that there is wasn't one. We had a national emergency about the expiration of the Export Control Act. We've had national emergency doesn't mean what we think of it anymore, well, a hurricane, an attack from another country. It does mean that. Congress it has been diluted by the statutes in some yes. cases. But these ones he's talking the about. The delusion has been statutory, not just. Yes, and therein lies part Congress of the problem, is that to the extent that you dilute the term so much that it allows the executive to work completely on his own for whatever reason he sees, there's a serious question of whether or not this is an unconstitutional delegation of an excessive authority to the president. And the definition that John talked about of, of what is an emergency, old style, hurricanes, wars, invasions, and so forth, uh, you can say that about a problem which is less acute today than it was 20 years ago in terms of people coming in and out of uh, Mexico. So wait a minute. Now, here's what I want to make sure I understand. You are saying that according to statute, the president does have the power, but he shouldn't. No, no, no. It's, it's, not more, compli really compli it's more complicated than that no. because it's talking about essential to national security. And this is a, he's going to be ironically bit by the following thing. He appointed two very able men to the Supreme Court, both of whom are against Chevron and, and Justice Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. And what he's now doing is claiming that he has complete deference and he appointed them to limit the deference of the administrative state. So if they read this tightly, essential meaning you have to prove that there's some connection 
connection to it, they're going to lose. There was a recent case on the word essential, which went exactly that way. You had to show that there was a real nexus of one kind or another, and they kicked back a delegation under the Endangered Species Act. So this thing is very much I, up for games. You used to run, or, or at least play a major role, in the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice, and that's where a lot of these legal... The Office of Legal Counsel, as I understand it, is at least in large measure... <coughs> The think tank, the legal think tank for the White House. What mm -hmm. is it legal for the president to do X, Y, or Z? Okay. Right. How would you advise President Trump? So first, the, the second question you start with is, I think, easier, which is if there's a national emergency, there are several statutes which say the president can move money around to build things. <coughs> right. For military construction, for <coughs> drug interdiction, even move money out of civil projects to military projects. So if there's a national emergency, I don't think it's a hard question that he can build that wall, that tiny little outpost of a wall. 150 uh, yeah, miles. That you're so the real question is, is there a national emergency? I think uh, if I were still in the Office of Legal Counsel, I would advise the president that it's within his discretion to declare one. Presidents, before 1978, presidents didn't even act pursuant. There was no statute. Lincoln, they just did it. Thomas Jefferson during the Aaron Burr conspiracy. Lincoln. Now this one will really get Richards. <laughs> Go, Diana Rupp, yes. FDR in four years into the Great Depression declared a national emergency. On the banks. Yes, on the banks. And so you had presidents declare national emergencies. Truman during Korea, FDR on the pressure over and over again. In 1978, Congress said we're going to pass something called the National Emergencies Act. To they, tidy this up, so to, to speak, right? But they didn't. They had the opportunity to say national emergency is only A, B, or C, or has this characteristics. They didn't. They just said when the president declares a national emergency, he has to announce it in public. That's it. So but, Congress had its chance so to limit it, and they did not solve the problem. But, but, so let me ask you a slightly different question. Yeah. President Trump just receives John Hughes' advice. Go ahead. Declare a national emergency. He does it. Who has standing to stop him? Uh, this is an interesting question. Uh, so the answer uh, is nobody. No, no, no. Uh, the ahead. answer, no. This is one of the great dilemmas <clears throat> of standing law is if nobody has standing, does everybody have standing? Uh, but if there's somebody, for example, who's going to lose a contract in virtue of the fact that money is going to be diverted from his project, that person would, under traditional definitions, have that. And to give you yet another illustration, the case that he referred to, the steel seizure case back in 1952, Truman, did, de Truman. Right, he did declare some kind of emergency and he did seize the mines. And he was rebuffed by the courts, who said that this was not sufficient under... Who sued him? Who took him to court? Well, what took it was the, the steel companies at that point. Youngstown Steel. Tube Company. Youngstown Steel. Yeah. They did it, and they won. Uh, now, they won on three or four different measures. The most important of these was the Jack, Robert Jackson opinion. And, and what he said is where the president is acting pursuant to authorization by Congress, he's in very fine shape. Where he's going into the teeth of Congress, he's in very low ebb. And it's where it's silent is in the middle. Is this, which kind of case is this? This is probably a low ebb case. Because if you went back to the steel seizure cases, one of the arguments that moved to Justice Black was, you know, you had a chance, Congress, to settle this thing up correctly when you did the Labor Management Relations Act to deal with emergency strikes and shutdowns and so forth, and you didn't take it. And this was read as essentially saying that Congress had rejected what was going on. And with Ms. Pelosi screaming at the top of her lungs, I think he's at serious risk. There may be an argument that the House of Representatives has standing. It may well be that they, Congress could try to stop it. But so what I about some Texas rancher whose land gets taken by eminent well, well, domain to build well, the Well, they, yeah, they would, I mean, that, yeah. that would have standing. He would have standing. Yeah. But I mean, you'll get, you'll get over the standing yeah, if situation. If they pay just compensation, he doesn't have a gripe. Yes, but of course, you know Trump will <laughs> never do that. <laughs> He's a New York real estate developer. He, doesn't, he loves eminent domain, yeah. right? So. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... 
National emergency turns out to be murky and tr okay, got that. That's why it's not undoubted. No, he may be right. Not un okay, he may be right, no, but it's well, not. I think undoubted. the better point is no court's gonna, I think, reverse a finding of a national emergency. No court ever even has. These, even these lower courts that have been oh, taking some lighting and reversing. Yeah, there'll be Trump. some judge out here in San Francisco right. or LA or Hawaii who might try to enjoin it. But the Supreme Court, I don't think, is well, going to allow the, the lower court judge to say, I'm substituting my judgment of about what's, what's going emergency. on in the border for what's a national emergency. Um, they look Unprecedented. That never well, I mean, before. let me remember the Hawaii versus Trump case, where the president was on much stronger ground, was five to four. And it easily could have gone the other way. Um, what saved Trump under those circumstances is that there was an exhaustive internal review throughout all branches of government to reaffirm a set of travel bans which had been initiated by Barack right. Obama. This is absolutely unilateral. The president is standing on his own. So I can see this going 9-0 in the other direction or 5-4 in this way. Uh, no. So if you have that... Zero. All right, we yes. move along. We move <laughs> along. I, uh, Roberts brings everybody to the other side on the grounds they didn't do the proper process. Uh, that would be what happened. Larger, slightly wider uh, uh, bore question here. Kim Strassel in the Wall Street Journal reports that this administration, unlike previous administrations when there were government shutdowns, it was Republicans in Congress forcing the shutdown, and the executive wanted to make the shutdown as painful, politically painful as possible. So they slammed shut American uh, the national parks, so forth. And in this case, the Trump administration, the, pre the administration wants to make it as painless as possible. And Kim Strassel writes in the Wall Street Journal, it turns out that the law provides some useful flexibility when an administration cares to use it. The last continuing resolution, December 21st, I think it was, uh, permits the government to pay bills that were, uh, would come due within the next 30 days. That gets you through a month. OMB has a, issued a legal finding that unfunded agencies may continue operations that support necessary or mandatory agencies. So Social Security checks continue to go out. I, uh, tax refunds will be paid, all of that. Now, well, of this course, is a great time uh, to be audited because it won't be happening. Oh, <laughs> because John has just put himself <laughs> top of the list. <laughs> so, in general, the question is is the Trump administration acting lawfully and legally to make this shutdown as painless as it can? Or, I, I, that's which is Kim Strassel's view here, I believe that's fair to say. Or critics are saying, wait a minute, they're, they're just using loopholes. It's up to Congress to appropriate funds. Congress has refused the funds. The government shutdown should be much more obvious and painful. John? So first of all, uh, parts of the government are fully funded right, because unlike usual years where there's an omnibus, where all the spending of the government is in one bill, right. uh, this time, uh, and this is the Republicans in Congress from the last Congress, passed a number of individual appropriation right. bills. And so parts of the government are funding. It's not a complete shutdown like in the past. I actually, By the way, they were re reverting <clears throat> to earlier practice. Yes, that's the way it traditionally had been until decades. the 80, until the Reagan administration when the Democratic Congress wanted to shove all its spending down President Reagan's throat, they right. would accumulate onto one bill and dare him yeah. to veto it. Right. Uh, so we're reverting back to practice. So parts of the government are open. Uh, what, what Kim Strass was talking about are, you know, Band-Aids. Right? In, the, in, the, in the important areas, you could keep this going on for a few weeks, not even a few weeks, maybe a few days, but the essential functions of government are going to run out. You do need Congress to pass a bill sooner rather than so later. So we're in week three. By yeah, week four, it's going to start to hurt. By the time people see us, yeah, it'll, it'll Next um, week, TSA's, TSA agents who are being forced 
right, to work without pay are going to stop showing up to work. Uh, you're going to start. Yeah, that's when people are you're starting. The, the functions can only go on a certain period of time. I've been, you know, I've had my paycheck when I was in the government suspended. And I also worked in Congress when Gingrich shut down uh, the government. And it just can't go on that long because constitutionally you need the Congress to refill the coffers. And yes. that's not happening anymore. Now, what happens is they've also brought a lawsuit claiming it's the takings to have them work and not pay them. And, you know, this is not an unattractive claim. Getting something for nothing is what the takings clause is to some extent designed to prevent. And, you know, three years later we could resolve that lawsuit in an authoritative fashion. Uh, this will not be resolved politically. It will be resolved politically. One of the things I like to say, and this was true about the steel seizure case, uh, this was not a national emergency in the strong sense because there's a lot of steel that had been stockpiled. You can't stockpile services. Uh, so if you shut down TSA, the fact that I've got myself 15 tickets. Was that an admiring little nod? You thought the, I never thought the of that before. You can't stockpile services. That was the key finding. If you actually went back on the record, which why it yeah. is that the steel seizure strike was uh, overrated. I see. see, the way in which these things work is unions get their overtime pay in advance and the companies get their extra supplies. And then it's only when those things start to run down that you get a negotiation. But okay. when they shut down the New York City subway system on January 1st, on January 1st at 9 a.m. was chaos. Right. And so if this thing goes to the point where those guys shut down, Trump will have As we game. record this, it's getting on toward a month. So... A week, two weeks from now, it will really start. Yeah, to I better not do what I'm important, by the way. I mean, I have a personal request to the president. <laughs> He's got <laughs> that on his list of yeah, all the other ones. Do not strand me, so I have to take the train back from Portland to Hoover. <laughs> personal. Right. No, I, 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 in a week or two, it'll be over. I mean, I, I think that this is Would just you tell us how it ends? First, I think, oh, they'll they'll reach a deal. This is all posturing. I mean, there's they'll the, split the money. They won't give them $5.7 billion. The, but the get, dreamers. Get yeah, the it. obvious deal is, uh, you know, legalize the dreamers, you know, the, the kids who are brought here illegally, but as children by their parents in exchange for X amount of money for the wall. It's just the, the you figure. You are predicting a re-emergence of normal politics. It has to, because uh, both sides are going to start getting blamed. So, you know, right now people are arguing who's getting blamed more. And this is my impression from past Shutdowns. At some point, the American people are going to blame everybody. Yes. And then they're going to want to make it. You hear what easily. Right, this is Shakespeare, it. a plague on both your hands. Right, <laughs> right. William Barr. William Barr served as Attorney General under President George H.W. Bush. He must have been a child Attorney General. Younger. Early Younger. 40s. Now, President Trump has nominated Barr to become Attorney General once again. Two items. Listen to two items. Item one William Barr and Special Counsel Robert Mueller are such close personal friends that their wives have attended a Bible study group together, and Mueller has attended the weddings of three of Barr's daughters. Item two, last June, William Barr submitted to the Justice Department an unsolicited 20-page memorandum. In the words of the Wall Street Journal, Barr's memo, quote, excoriated special counsel Robert Mueller's inquiry into obstruction of justice by Mr. Trump for firing FBI Director James Comey, saying it is based on a, quoting William Barr, fatally misconceived theory that would cause lasting damage to the executive branch, close quote. Well, if you're a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee listening to William Barr testify, what are you to make of this? On the one hand, he's best buddies with Robert Mueller. On the other hand, on his own, without being asked, he sent in 20 pages attacking Robert Mueller as special counsel. John? 
So first, it's not surprising they might be friends. When Barr was attorney general, Mueller was the head of the criminal division under Barr. So you know, Barr trusted him to actually run all criminal, federal criminal prosecutions in the country when he was that baby uh, attorney general. Uh, you know, there's, you know, Mueller is, a, I think, an admirable guy, you know, a Marine platoon leader in Vietnam. After he'd been head of the criminal division, he went to make money, and he hated it. And so he went back to doing prosecutions as a street-level prosecutor. And he's famous in Justice Department land because if you would call him, he would just answer the phone and say, Mueller, homicide. You know, this guy had been one of the top figures in the Justice Department, and he just went back down to being a ground-level prosecutor. So a lot of people in the Justice Department world really admire Mueller, including Barr. The second point is I agree and with you Barr. you too. I do too. You find him an admirable. I, I think he's an admirable guy, and All I right. think the administration would be wise to let him complete it. But the second point is I fully agree with what Barr said in his memo. I think that Mueller, if he is doing this investigation in this way, is going too far by saying the president's use of his constitutional power to fire the FBI director, on which I think Trump had many grounds to fire Comey, but that cannot be, in my view, obstruction of justice by itself because the president has a constitutional right to remove. Without explaining himself he to could, anyone. He could give any reason or no reason. Yeah, but the question is, can he give bad reason is what people are doing on the other side. Look, I have no idea about their personal friendships, but it seems like everybody in Washington in a position of power knows everybody else in Washington in a position of power. But I regard the selection of Mueller to take that position as a dreadful choice because he's too much of an insider making judgments over his friends or his enemies. And so I thought they had Mueller to was a lousy choice for special counsel, no matter how admirable he may yeah, be. Yeah, the, the, the conflicts are too great. If Gene, Jim Comey is going to be somebody who's going to get involved in this investigation and they've been close friends, you can't do it. And then once the thing came out with Strauss and Page, I think he made the Strauss and Page, the FBI. Uh, uh, the the, the anti-Trump is in the FBI right. office. Who uh, Now, he fired them, but he used their work. And you cannot do the latter under these circumstances because that work is as tainted as the two people and so forth. Fruit of the poison tree. Yes, that's right. By God, you do know Nardoni. Hey, hey, <laughs> I did not realize I'm where this... i waiting years <laughs> to slip that in. Not only that, it's a overrun me, yes. But, <laughs> but I think the conflict is too acute. I, I, I think that there can be a form of obstruction of justice in rare cases by dismissing an attorney general. But it's extremely difficult to make that case out because of the following. You have to prove that the president knew, for example, that Flynn was guilty and knew that if he were to fire uh, the current... Uh, Flynn that, was the NSC director at yes, the time. Go ahead. At, at the <laughs> fire somebody and then put somebody into place who, with whom he would make a deal that he would not be prosecuted, it would start to look very seamy. But on the facts of this particular case, a casual conversation where it seems quite likely... Where Trump said to, to yeah, Comey, listen, Flynn's uh, a good guy. And, and by the way, and if it turns out, as I think is the case, that Trump believed that he had done nothing wrong, then not only is this not a, a interference with justice, it's a perfectly responsible exercise of your executive power. Okay, two more items. Sorry. Ah, cut me off in mid-sentence, okay. if you will. Oh, Anyone who has a conversation with you does that. place to cut you off. <laughs> two, two more items. Two more items. This, this, again, this, I'm just going to... Yeah. This will take a moment or two to set up, but I think it'll prove interesting. Seth, item one. Seth Lipsky in the Wall Street Journal the day before Barr begins his hearings in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Quote, will Attorney General nominee William Barr promise not to fire Special Counsel Robert Mueller if he does? This is Seth Lipsky. President Trump should withdraw the nomination. For a special counsel to be constitutional at all, the president has to be able to fire him. If Mr. Barr vowed not to fire Mr. Mueller, he'd be undercutting Mr. Trump from day one. Close quote. Item two. 
from the Wall Street Journal reporting on Barr's testimony before the Senate a couple days ago. Guess what he said. Mr. Barr repeatedly promised to allow special counsel Robert Mueller's probe to proceed to its conclusion. He said he would he would refuse a hypothetical order for Mr. Trump to fire Mr. Mueller. Now, quoting Barr, I will not be bullied into doing anything, said Mr. Barr. Close quote. Okay, what do we make of this? I think it's... The appropriate response is not to give any commitment because I think nobody who receives an executive office can have a conflicting loyalty to be honored to Congress. I think confirmation is an all or nothing process. If you take the guy, you take all of me, as I used to say in the song, not part of me, which is what they're doing. But on the other hand... So, not, so you're with Seth Lipsky? No, I'm not with Seth Lipsky for the following reason. I, he doesn't have to say it. It is perfectly clear that an effort to file Mueller at this particular point in the time is suicidal. And my Political, for Trump, politically for, suicide. And not Trump. only that, the guy seems to have nothing in the cupboard. And so the real question is, if you want to fire this guy, he's going to blab and all sorts of no's. But let him file a report. The interesting story today, which you did not report, is will Barr make this report public once it comes out? I think the answer is he has to make it public because my guess is that the cupboard is bare. I have no doubt that the Russians are collusively horrible in anything they do. But collusive with Trump, I don't think they've gotten near to doing anything. And there are a lot of other people who try to find that connection as well. John? So... I agree almost fully with Richard. Oh, so stop the clock. Stop the tape. <laughs> Let's record this moment in your little book with all the signatures <laughs> and of the guests. Uh, so I, I th uh, two points. One is I think Richard's right that actually if Trump were smart and Barr were smart, the best thing to do would be to let Mueller finish the report. And if, from everything we know, Mueller doesn't seem to have any evidence that Trump, the president or the candidate, himself colluded in any way with the Russians. Some low-level fools in the well, campaign seem to have gotten... Not that low-level. You know, uh, Manafort, the campaign manager, yes, seems the, but, to have been colluding. And but, that, but years beforehand, he's... It's starting to sound like he was colluding during the campaign. Oh, that's so? All right, he was right, sharing right. campaign data with the with okay, Ukrainians. Sorry, sorry. I mean, but that's uh, but, a know, bad thing to yeah, do. It may not be illegal. Only a tenured yeah. professor would have time to read up on all this stuff. <laughs> but... <laughs> I know, it's that or great papers, and I'll take this over grading <laughs> papers any day. And then the, the, the second point is, think about it from the political perspective. Uh, the best thing in the world for the Trump presidency would be for Mueller to clear him. After yes. all the defending that the Democrats and Trump's opponents have done of Mueller, they've raised him up into a saint. If the saint blesses Trump, then the, all of that is dead. So, but putting, the, uh, putting that aside, the constitutional issue I think, uh, actually, you're right. I think the president has the constitutional authority to fire Mueller. Uh, in fact, he can't be a prosecutor in the executive branch unless Trump has that authority. Now, Barr can say, I'm not going to carry out that order. Then you fire and then Barr. Trump fires Barr. So we go or right Barr back to, to Richard Nixon. And, uh, well, then the question is, we don't have Bob Bork to kick around anymore. Because mm. that's how he got into that office, when everybody ahead of right. him resigned and said, Bob, you have to stay and we'll defend you from, from manning the ship. And then they double-crossed the man. All right. Um, but, okay. More on, on, on the Mueller investigation. The cupboard may or may not be bare, but we know what Mueller has been investigating, right? We know he's been investigating Donald Trump and members of his presidential campaign. The Wall Street Journal the other day did a very nice job of summing up what else we know. We know that the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee hired Fusion GPS, which hired an intelligence gun for hire Christopher Steele, to write a dossier on Trump's supposed links to Russia. 
Mr. Steele fed that uncorroborated document to the FBI, and the FBI relied almost exclusively on the unproven Clinton-financed accusations to obtain four FISA warrants. Mr. Mueller seems uninterested. Close quote. Now, you may say that it's no nobody but Fox News pounding away on this, but that's the Wall Street Journal, and there are 62 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, and I put it to you that what we see with the Mueller investigation proceeding and a total lack of interest by the Democrats, by Mueller and the mainstream press in known and grave violations that the FBI went to a FISA court using trumped up evidence paid for by the opposing presidential campaign is outrageous. Well, I think you've understood. Serious damage has been done to the sense of justice at the highest level. I have John, oh, I'll come to you in a moment because <laughs> I can see you, you, you're ready to oh, go. He's geared I'm up. with you. He's geared no, up. You are? In that case, <laughs> no, you no. wait. <laughs> no, the problem is. Go, go ahead. I, you know, as someone who worked in the Justice Department and had yeah. a lot of faith in the people who worked there, uh, I was shocked to read. All of these it things. It takes a lot to I, shock John. No, you. I was, I was, I mean, I hang out with Richard all the time. I'm never shocked, but this shocked me. And uh, for on the Mueller really investigation, really bad stuff. Now look, for on the, on. this is not within the ambit of Mueller's investigation. So the, to yes. correct all this has to be through other proceedings. And look at the rogues gallery of the people responsible who I think were misusing. Uh, Justice Department resources to try to affect an election and did what you're never supposed to do is launch these things to affect a presidential campaign. And that's, you know, that's like the third rail in prosecutorial uh, ethics. And so what they, look at all the people involved. Comey, he's gone, he's fired. McCabe, his deputy, he's been fired. Strozik, fired, Page fired. So slowly but surely that house is getting cleaned but it's not big profile. As but, you said, it's the Democrats so the don't current, care. The you media know the doesn't current care. FBI director. Remind yeah, Chris Ray. And so you think quietly he's going about Chris cleaning Chris Ray is restoring the perfect the guy for that job. He is cleaning well, house. I, and those people I'm being sure he's doing that. The and problem. Bill Barr will do the same at Justice? I believe so. In fact, that's if Bill uh, Barr is, me, this is, should me, be the top uh, of his go, agenda. I think uh, sorry, the first thing about this is if you really want a clean house, you have to tell Mueller any information that was gathered by any of the people who were fired cannot be used. And he's used all of that stuff. And indeed, this whole You're thing. not nearly as admiring of Robert Mueller as <laughs> No, I'm not. Why? I mean, I mean I, I, I'll talk about his previous campaign and career maybe an example. He should have not have taken this job. He didn't do it right. What John is referring to is if you look at the authorization, it's a crooked authorization. What it says is we are entitled Rod to... Rod Rosenstein's authorization the, of the, Robert Mueller's investigation. It's to investigate the influence of Russia on the Trump campaign. Yep. Oh, it did not say the Clinton campaign, but it said you could follow up from that to other things that you discovered. So they used that to get Manafort in 2007 but they don't use it to get Hillary. And so the question is, are they inconsistent with respect to their subordinate opting? And the, the answer are. is, uh, the answer is yes. But that's their charge. I mean, I, you're, you're stealing charge. my thunder. But no, no, his <laughs> charge is to do things that follow out from, and the question is how broadly you read it. But if it turns out that you now know that all the documents that were used in order to launch this investigation were obtained in dubious fashion, understand why they did this, by the way. They got several warrants on the basis of stuff that wasn't very good. Then they want to continue the investigation. In order to continue an investigation, you have to persuade the FISA court that there's some new information that you have. They don't have any new information, so they use the Steele dossier. And they try to obscure it by saying, well, this is not the only thing that was involved because of all the other stuff that we had presented with respect to the earlier thing. But this was the do-or-die document. If you ever look at that particular document... It's garbage. It, it's, I mean, it looks like it's full scap. Uh, it looks 
like a sixth grader writing something about his ex-girlfriend or something. It's juvenile. And you can't believe that document on the face of the record, even if you knew nothing else about the background, just looking at the way it's set on the paper. So a lot of people have a lot for which to answer, and they are being made to answer for it, just not in the too little, glare too of the prep. All right. Too little, too late. But by the way, so I don't want to spend too much time on this because you both seem to agree that the cupboard is bare. Mueller's not likely, your feeling is Mueller's not likely to come forward with anything too terribly damning. haven't seen anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, so, but the question is, can a sitting president be indicted? No. I don't think so either. Oh, I thought that was, that was, an, I thought that was a more interesting question than the two of you think Oh, it is a very interesting question but for other side. people. <laughs> it's one side. No, no, I think it's, be the evidence is pretty clear. Yeah. Oh, really? From the framing, it, the, this was a question actually that came up during the ratification of the Constitution, and Hamilton said in the Federalist Papers, well, first you impeach him, and then you indict him. But you don't do it the other way. I see. Look, let me explain. And it would never happen uh, because yeah, the president explain, is in charge of all no, the prosecutors. No, no, no. Let's explain why. He could say, don't indict me. This uh, is the old, the king can do no harm. Um, yeah, that's the sovereign immunity point. But the difficulty is, for impeachment, there's only one body that can do it. If you assume that the president cannot fire everybody who's against him, you've got how many district attorneys out there, and you can have 30 people in 30 different districts indicting him. Then you can have guys from the state who are underneath his control bringing suits against him in state court for indictments right. of this, that, or the other thing. You can't run a country that way. And so what you have to do is to centralize the process. And then once he's out of office, you don't have the impediments to office that come from multiple indictments, and then everybody can go after But wait, so, so your argument is not only that he may not be indicted at a... Uh, uh, at the federal level, your argument is that, he, that he, the Attorney General of New York can't indict him. Oh, no, clearly not. Clearly not. Oh, yes. Not for his actions as president. Yes. I see. He okay. could be indicted okay. for things he did before president. As a sitting president, no, he could I, be You'd have to wait to do the trial until no, after you see, the point is, I don't yeah. even think it's the trial. The only thing I think you could do if you want to bring even a civil suit against the president and is to get an, two things. Yeah. You get an order to preserve case. documents. And you could get an order to suspend the statute of limitations. I thought that that's it. I, that's, I thought that you should not have allowed the deposition of Bill Clinton. I see. Because my view is, well, president. I think it's more dangerous in deposition than it is a trial. And everybody else who's a lawyer tends to agree. And after all, what was he impeached for, right? Lying um, that aside, that I think the best, the greatest TV moment in the history of mankind <laughs> with the highest ratings will be when Mueller deposes Trump on live television. Right. More people will watch than the Super Bowl. Well, it's not going to happen. Then the Trump, can say, the Trump yeah. can say at the end to Mueller, and now you're fired. <laughs> that will be the greatest you're moment fired. in the history of television. All right. Never Boys, uh, Justice Antonin Scalia in his 1988 dissent in the Independent Counsel case of Morrison versus Olson, quote, in the 10 years since the Independent Counsel was established by law, there have been nine highly publicized investigations, a source of constant political damage to two administrations. The mini-executive that is the independent counsel is intentionally cut off from the unifying influence of the Justice Department and from the perspective that multiple responsibilities provides. Independent counsel statute should be held unconstitutional, Scalia argued, because governmental investigation and prosecution of crimes is a quintessentially executive function and because the whole object of the statute is to deny the president exclusive control over an exclusively executive function. Close quote. I know the independent counsel statute is a different matter from the special counsel, which Robert <laughs> Mueller is a special counsel. Right. Still in all, is not the special counsel, Robert Mueller's investigation, further confirmation of the wisdom and constitutional correctness 
of Mr. Justice Antonin Scalia's 1988 dissent. His finest hour, as they used to say. Uh, oh, really? You, amazing. I've never gotten you to agree <laughs> know, to quite so many propositions. Well, I mean, but look, I mean, I, you know, I disagree with Scalia on huge numbers of issues, like everybody else. But I think when he said And I think this, it went vice versa, yes, too, with you. I, oh, yes, he used to call me Byzantine, in other words. <laughs> but when he said that the, but the best line that he ever had was he said, and, you know, this is a wolf coming in wolf's clothing. Yes. Um, he got it exactly right. The, yeah. the, the, what got this thing on the wrong foot is everybody says that conflicts of interest are dangerous. But total separation is not the way to handle a conflict of interest because then you get reckless independence. What you have to do is to manage conflicts of interest. And they used to do that in the Justice Department by setting up special arrangements, weak walls and so forth, uh, between the person who was doing the investigation and the rest of the department. And what happened is the worst opinion on this, the, the, the rankest opinion is the pure apologia. He gets everything. The, the majority opinion. He wrote a majority right opinion. Yeah, upheld the independent I mean, counsel. And, you know, you know, saying that he's got all sorts of control over them. They have all sorts yeah. of control over him. The control they had was gossamer thin. They didn't even get to point this guy. It was appointed in a cross situation where justices in the Supreme Court. D.C. Circuit. D.C. Yeah. Circuit got to appoint these people. I do not believe that cross-branch appointments are constitutional under the appointments court. Do you? You think, no, highly, I think you're right. you think highly of Robert Mueller? You think he has duly followed his brief. Yeah. Still in all, do you wish that he had never been appointed? That we just do away with special and independent counsels forever? No, different Yes, guy. but I actually have for a different reason. So you're oh, right. Really? One is it disrupts the uh, unitary control of prosecution under the president, which the Constitution requires. Uh, but there's another reason, I think, actually. If you don't like Trump... If you're a Trump critic, uh, as, as is the, the man who called are. for his resignation on this first day in office. So if you don't like Trump, there's still a reason why you shouldn't like the special counsel statute. So if you're Nancy Pelosi, in a way, you shouldn't like it either. Because what the special counsel statute does, like the administrative state generally, is it transfers the real responsibility in the Constitution, which is in Congress under the impeachment power, and shifts it to some unaccountable, independent agency here the special counsel or the independent counsel. So Congress washes its hands of the whole thing. They should say, oh, if the president's doing bad things, if he's committing high crimes and misdemeanors, Mueller will take care of it. Right? It's not our job. Actually, under the Constitution, the branch that's responsible for controlling the president's abuses of power is the House under the impeachment power, and the Senate can remove him. But we don't talk about it that much because everyone's so focused on Mueller. That's just like what the way our government works in lots of other areas. The reason why, again, Scalia's opinion was his finest moment is that the special counsel is like the epitome of the administrative state generally and the distortion to our Constitution that's been taking place since the 30s. So get rid of that and make Congress do its job. And there's another way to... Which, which brings me on, sorry, which brings me on. Over your left shoulder is a clock. Oh. And you can't see it, but I can. So I'm moving on to the next topic, tick Richard. Tick-tock, tick-tock. John just mentioned for the first time since the 30s, Let me, which brings us on to a brief discussion of the high court. John, you writing not long ago, National Review, after Justice Anthony Kennedy had announced his retirement, but before the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh. With a fifth conservative justice, John wrote, the last remaining branch of the federal government will have slipped away from liberal hands. A little fast there, they just <laughs> took the House of Representatives. And two of the four liberal justices on the court are in their 80s. Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer. Yeah, Stephen Breyer. But he's healthy. For the first time in about eight decades, the country may have a truly conservative Supreme Court. Justice Kennedy is gone. 
just as Kavanaugh is in his place, do we have a truly conservative Supreme Court? Not if we have Chief Justice John Roberts. Why? Because see, on the two what major decisions, Richard. Why? Well, well, think about the Affordable Care Act and whether or not he was the person who managed to do this, and think about the contraceptive mandates and stuff and the funding. Uh, he which, has both of which were upheld by the court. Both of them upheld by the court by John Roberts. Uh, only because make, of his vote. Only yeah. because of his vote. So I think, in effect, no. I, uh, Roberts is a different kind of conservative. He's a don't rock the boat kind of guy. He's not somebody like Gorsuch, who has a very strong ideological conception of what the original founding period wanted and was prepared to do it. Sometimes they'll get together on particular cases, sometimes not. There is no question that uh, Roberts was to the right of Kennedy by some respectable but not huge margin. It's also the case, by the way, that people will be surprised by Kavanaugh because I think he's probably a bit further to the left uh, than people actually think. I don't regard him as to the left of center, but more so. And Gorsuch has a very strong anti-government streak in him, uh, which has been uh, evidenced by his willingness to write opinions on various police cases in which he gets the concurrence of one Sonia Sotomayor. Uh, so so there are so many issues and so many cross-currents that methinks thou speaks too soon to say it's going to be a solid court. Uh, it's very clear that I think Ruth Ginsburg will not be able to serve for health reasons for perhaps... We come to that in a moment. We yeah. come to that okay. in a moment. But that would change it. It's Your words, truly conservative Supreme Court. I, I tend to have a more optimistic view of Chief Justice Roberts, although I was very disappointed in <laughs> the Obamacare cases where he joined the liberals to uphold... So can I... But let me just As look, Chief Justice... He, I think he was... He had a hard job, which was maintaining a five-justice majority, one of whom was Justice Kennedy. And so he had to play this role. Now that he, he could be freed now of that, of having a very potentially liberal justice in his coalition. And now this might give him the freedom to really start restoring the original Constitution. Yeah, but Richard's right. Time will tell. But now we can see the real John Roberts come out, not the one who's been the political well, so manager. So that's the question. You both know how to think about this. I'm not even sure I can formulate the question, but the, as chi it inheres in the position of chief, chief Justice, a certain duty simply to hold things together, to be conservative in the etymological sense of the word, to conserve what we have. This is Charles Evans Hughes who upheld the New Deal. And who was yeah. who was your la who was a conservative jurist? He, he, yes, no. but but he was for conservatives, he was the one who brought the whole thing down. Yes, he, in the end, basically okay. what happened. I guess what I'm asking is, how much intellectual slack do you cut the chief justice? So I don't, but most po political scientists say, oh yeah, he's the chief justice. He has to be concerned about politics and wherever. I think uh, I hope Richard's with me on this. I think a lot of conservative scholars would say, no, just call the balls and strikes. Stop worrying about what yes. President Obama's saying about you or Senator Leahy. Just say, is this constitutional or not? Let the politics take care of themselves. But Hughes had a point. If the court had not backed down in the face of the overwhelming political support that FDR had... We could have 15 justices on the Supreme Court. Exactly. No, they lost the <laughs> packing lost. five before this. I think but that's what Hughes I mean, lost. I think, I think, I think yeah. you're wrong about this. Let me explain why. I'm just asking the question. <laughs> I know, but with a certain degree you of confidence, which is in, undeserved. In Richard's, <laughs> mind, in Richard's mind, you're wrong just for asking. No, I mean, Hughes was on the court twice. He was on between 1910 and 1916 before he got off. That was the good Hughes. That was the early Hughes. <laughs> right. But he was not necessarily a good Hughes. The key case on labor relations then was a case called Coppage against Kansas, in which what there were 1915. Heard of this one. What? You've never Coppage heard of versus Kansas. 236 U.S. number one. Oh my God. <laughs> um, 
This is the case which upheld essentially a statute which said that an employer had the right to fire at will any worker and therefore stop mandatory collective bargaining. Hughes wrote a very muddy concurrence on this, um, which said, I go along with the result on an opinion which is almost incomprehensible. 1930, when the Railway Labor Act comes up, he announces that his concurrence in the earlier case was really the law, and so that there wasn't this strong anti-collective bargaining animus. And then in 1937, he writes the opinion which does it. But remember, the case had been decided by three courts down below, three circuit courts, all of which unanimously struck down the National Labor Relations Act as beyond the power of Congress. And Hughes turned this thing around. There would not have been a peep, because that statute was immensely unpopular at the time, um, on that particular issue. There may have been on other stuff, but I don't think the labor statute would have been able to push this thing over the top. I have lost an aside, entire century here. I've got to struggle <laughs> to bring us back to 2019. Putting aside labor... Hughes ran for president. Right? He's a political animal. He's not the person who should be chief justice. Right. And I think Roberts pays too much attention to politics, too. And he, frankly, I think Obama, you know, politically beat the hell out of him on Obamacare and got exactly what he wanted. That's why justices should not keep their eye on politics because they're going to be right. easily deceived and beaten by true professional politicians. Back to Ruth Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 85 years old. Just a few weeks ago, she had a couple of cancerous growths removed from her lungs. When does it become the duty of a justice to step down? Constitutionally? Death. In your judgment. Death. Death. <laughs> Death. <laughs> My view is, I think, in effect, she's reached that point. Um, and that goes John, for law professors uh, The reason too. is I don't believe Death. that she can ever have the strength to sit on the bench and perform her regular duties. She's an old friend. I mean, I wish her well. Uh, but I think, in effect, that the, the cumulative nature of these operations is terrible. If she doesn't get chemotherapy or radiation, this tumors could well come back. If she mm -hmm. does get it, it's likely to kill her. Uh, so I just don't think she's in a position to yeah. work anymore. She's not an oral argument, and she's somehow they're allowing her to vote on the cases, just, which is a, a serious change in policy. court practice. practice. That, I agree. I think that shows she can't do uh, the job right. and should step down. John Malcolm of the Heritage Foundation, quote, when Neil Gorsuch was the nominee, you were replacing a conservative, Scalia, with a conservative. With Kavanaugh, you were replacing the perennial swing voter, Kennedy, uh, who more times than not sided with the so-called conservative wing. But if you were replacing Justice Ginsburg with a Trump appointee, a Trump nominee, it should be, I think, that would be akin to replacing Thurgood Marshall, legendary liberal with justice, Clarence with Clarence Thomas, Thomas, legendary conservative. Correct? For whom I clerked in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, Thomas, not Marshall. Um, I think, actually, it'll be somewhat... I think the political forces, yes, will treat it that way. I think, as a matter of constitutional doctrine, it'll be anticlimactic, because I, th I think conservatives already have five votes. This will be the sixth vote. But I think the liberal interest groups... Will Kavanaugh was like spring training compared to what they're going to do to try to stop whoever Trump. And you put share up to Richard's him. view that Justice Ginsburg is likely to be forced to retire. I don't see between now before the the presidential election. I don't see how she's going to last two more years. Neither do yeah, I. Look, I, you know. So as a matter, what I'm trying to get to yeah. is, you would both agree, as a matter of political prediction, that. We're in the Kavanaugh thing would is small by comparison with what something that's no go ahead. Well, I, I think what Trump will do is nominate a woman, 
and right. that would that get rid Probably of Probably Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, Amy we, Barrett. We'll stick with his list. Um, yes, Amy Barrett to. is certainly not politically. But he she's has she's to. very strong. She's a wonderful person, um, and it turns out the Democrats tried a line which will surely backfire on them, saying that no Catholic is fit to sit on the United States Supreme Court because of their religious beliefs and alliances. They didn't quite say it like that, but, but that they seems to be what they're doing. That's what's, that's what's going, going on, on yes, now with the Knights of Columbus and all the rest of this stuff. I think that's a terrible line. She's a wonderful woman. She's an extremely smart professor, and she's a great judge. Um, so what's that dislike? And you can't play the sex card on her. You can't do that, for sure. Um, I hope not. This no, woman has seven children, you Look, know. Look, the interesting thing is what to I was telling my uh, liberal friends, all three of them, what I was telling my liberal friends, <laughs> nah, what I was my liberal friends is, if you look at Trump's list, Kavanaugh was Explain probably, the list. The list. So Trump, Go ahead. So when, during the primaries, a lot of conservatives were very distrustful of Trump. And he's running about even with um, Ted Cruz, I think it was at the time. And Trump, I think, was a brilliant political masterstroke, unprecedented. He said, conservatives, I've got a list of 10 people given to me by the Federal Society and the Heritage Foundation. And now I it's pr 20. I promise. And I promise to pick a justice okay. from that list. And that was a huge sign, and a lot of religious conservatives went over to him at that point, and he never was, he never lost the lead and in the polls. I that heard point. the two of you record in a recording, one of your Law Talk podcast recording. Both of you approved of every single name on that list of yes. ten. Yes, it was an amazing list. And, the, and, the, and now, he, now since becoming president, he's added another ten names. You approve of all twenty? Pretty much. John? Yeah, I think they're very good. I mean, look, okay. one of the things but the thing say, changes my point uh, is Kavanaugh was the most moderate one on that list. So, I mean, Trump, in a weird way, was trying to put out an olive branch. It's hard to read it this way after what happened. He was actually proposing someone he thought would be easily confirmed and would be a consensus pick. After what happened with Kavanaugh, he has no incentive to do that. He'll pick one of the much more conservative people, so that will also Which, provoke a fight. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is we one don't of the most, know. I think she's one of the most conservative people. Well, when you say conservative, you mean returning to the original understanding he of the means Constitution. Yeah. Look, I, the answer is uh, they were crazy to go after Kavanaugh. It was completely on reflex. They denounced him before they looked at anything that had happened. She is a very cool customer. They won't be able to rattle her in the same way, and they won't be able to find in sort of these personal elements in the high school beer drinking cast to get to her. <laughs> and that's the way they got to him, right? Right. I mean, they didn't get to him. When this thing was just a straight legal struggle, I mean, he pushed them away like a bunch of little flies, you know, uh, with a, he was a big fly swatter. Uh, it's only when they managed to get to, you know, Miss Blasey Hall that, that this whole thing started to go crazy, and she was to some extent euchred into doing this. The theory was that they announced the threat and that he would then back out, and then when they forced the thing there, he made a big mistake. I would have made it too. He lost his cool when asked to comment mm -hmm. on what she had done. Um, you know, he was told to do that to some extent, yeah, but I it hurt. It was deliberate. Yeah, yeah, but, but to some extent Yes, but you know, he's supposed okay. to go he's this far, yeah, and you go that. He pulled court. it off yeah, it by, uh, by the skin of his teeth. None of that would happen to her. Oh, right. I don't. I think they'll try, though. You remember her confirmation <clears throat> hearing in the lower uh, court? No, but they won't work. Diane Feinstein yes. said, "Oh, it's weird. I didn't even understand what dogma, dogma speaks the dog loudly in you." <laughs> yes, the dog, I was like, Catholic what the hell does that even mean? That does not work. You know, that will but not they work. They will try all this personal the, the, background uh, attacks because they can't win on the merits. If it's doing it on, look, salacious sex is one thing. Uh, but trying to get somebody because they have religious beliefs will offend so many people. They that came within record. just two or three votes of beating Kavanaugh. I understand that. But so sex why won't can they do, do that. it again? No, they'll because do they, again. I don't. They'll try. Yeah, they're uh, required they to try. The, uh, they're, 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 all right. Yeah. Uh, but I don't believe they can do it on religious grounds. Last question, Mr. Chairman. 
Um, in your heart of hearts, are you hoping? <laughs> it's on the other side for you, Richard. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> Would you please? This is what this is. We're serious. But this is what I do for a living. And this is what we do. You get fun. paid for this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll take care of what you get. In your heart of hearts, are you hoping for Justice Ginsburg to step down before the next election, or after the Kavanaugh debacle? Would you rather? Would you rather spare the country that kind of battle? I don't think we're going to have any choice. Same. I, I think these battles are actually good for the country, the court, and the Constitution because the they Kavanaugh battle was good for us in the end because it defined what things are about. It defined the stakes. People think the court's important for this reason or that reason. We, I think, it was revealed the lengths that uh, liberals are going to go to try to destroy people. I think on groundless bases, and. The benefits are having justices who call the constitutional balls and strikes, who are trying to restore the original meaning of the Constitution. Right. I think that's really important. I think that message still gets through to the country. So, yes, I, I hope Justice Ginsburg retires. I hope Trump puts up one of his more conservative originalist judges, and I hope we do have a big fight over it. Because I hope important. we don't. I don't like big fights, but if there are fights, I'd like them to be over matters of principle. All right. Taking fidelity to the Constitution as the criterion. <clears throat> answer this. The state of the federal bench, the state of the Supreme Court above all, and the state of American legal education, <clears throat> the state of law schools, in the course of your careers, have things gotten better or worse? Richard? It's complicated. At the top, it's gotten better. That is Supreme Court or no, I'm talking about that legal education. All right. The, Who the cares learned, about the Supreme Court? Now we're talking about something <laughs> important, which is law There schools. are more talented, gifted people in academics <clears throat> today than ever before, I think, at the top. But the when average you say at the top, you mean at the top law schools? No, I mean the top people in terms of publication, influence, or ability. It's very strong. I'll let the record show Richard is one of the top three most influential law professors. Well, but I, I don't even care about that. But I think what's the average quality is going down, and I think it's become much more politicized. Yeah, that's what I would have said. Actually, I think compared to when I started, which was much, much later than Richard. 1968. Let the record show. <laughs> no, so Boy, I, John. <laughs> so I, when I, I think the, uh, the top ten law schools... The ideological composition of law schools and universities has become heavily skewed to the left. It's now. impossible. There was never, never that was 50-50 balance, but there was, you know, a good debate it's between conservatives. It's come much, much worse. And I think the left has the gotten lesson. further to the left in many yes. cases, and identity politics has taken over. Um, I go to some workshops at various places, and I cannot believe what I see or what I hear. Yeah. Um, and the pressures are simply enormous. But on the other hand, as I said, I could enter, every year you could find five or ten people going into this business who are terrific. And so terrific meaning. Originalists. No, I, I don't even. John is, cares more about the originalism than I do. I care more about intellectual Roman rigor. Riparian law. Roman repairing. <laughs> that's his I mean, thing. I, that's I, his you know, issue. I worry about private law subjects and so forth. I am not a full-time constitutional lawyer, and some of these people are really great. They're very good empiricists. They have a strong sense of theory. They're what excellent procedures. Have you witnessed a restoration of correct? No. Thinking. No. It's the other way. It's, it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, probably the profession is 85%. And so your, the rest of your question about the bench, the, the profession, yeah. government, that's all downstream of culture and education. So if culture and education are getting worse and worse, as I think they are, unfortunately the results the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to 
flow downstream to our other institutions, well, which I, makes me pessimistic. I don't know how you're optimistic. Uh, well, in let this me world. tell you this because so how did you get the list of twenty that we got? Well, I was in charge. So the list of twenty, then those twenty are outliers. No, no, I that's the so. point. I disagree yeah. with this. It, you look at the students, they're not as far left as the faculty are. The Federal true. Society is an enormously powerful socializing institution. And so every year coming out of American law schools, there are one or 2,000 students at the very least who have very sound educations and backgrounds and go into practice. You Jesse, take the basic story, the great thing about America, unlike Asia, is that Americans hate their parents. <laughs> so, America, right, the re what's going on is our youth, our students are reacting well, negatively to all the liberal professors I mean, and look, elders I mean, that just, they you see. You just take your <laughs> to be one of the intellectuals and then you're you saying, no, no, it's all psychology. No, you just, take, you, look, I mean, you just take two law firms in Washington, which have had enormous influence lately, Jones Day and Gibson Dunn. Got it. They are just filled with smart, smart people. Many of them, I'm happy to say, my former students, who are very anxious to assume positions. That, well, I have a lot. I mean, this is one of the things of I am proud about. I've, you know, there are a huge number of people on that list who are university. Chicago people and Got so it. forth, right. or people from others with whom I've worked very closely, and the same thing with clerks. These kids are absolutely fabulous. I mean, the world can't be all bad if, in fact, you get 125 people who want to take a course in Roman repairing <laughs> rights, which I John teach. John Grinch, you. Do you know that, John? Listen, you have 125 students I, in I, Roman I, No, law? I have 125 students who sign up you to take this. Donuts no, no, class? no. How are you I can only take, kind of I can only take 23. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the list that signs up. Okay. That's so amazing. the world last is question. Fun. Last that's question. The world the is course. fine. Thank you. And if necessary, I'm we'll not worthy. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. Okay. Last <laughs> great question. Great yeah. course. I know that the very day after Donald Trump took office, you called for him to resign. <laughs> yes. I'm going to ask you Give to set that aside, and again, limit yourself to one criterion. There are others. Limit yourself to one criterion, which is the state of the federal courts and above all the Supreme Court. On that criterion alone, would you advise your fellow citizens to vote for Donald Trump in 2020? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Richard Epstein, John Yu, thank you very much. For Uncommon Knowledge and the Hoover Institution, I'm Peter Robinson.